Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. This morning's scripture, the reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, as we gather this morning to hear your word read and proclaimed, I humbly ask that you would speak to our hearts Fill them up with your word and your spirit, O Lord, that we would be forever changed. Forever changed that we would leave this place not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So when I was in college, one of the things that my friends and I would do for spring break was we liked to go backpacking. We liked to go hiking in the mountains of Western North Carolina because, well, it was the wilderness, we were alone, away from all the hubbub of life, and it was cheap. But on one of our trips, we were hiking in an area outside of Waynesville called the Middle Prong Wilderness Area. And we had found this wonderful map where we would start up on a mountain ridge and we would hike across and down into a valley and then we would cross a river and then hike back up the other side on a different ridge, ending back up in the parking lot where we had parked our car. It was a great trip. We thought it would take us about four days to do it. And we were really excited, really gung-ho. And we threw our packs on our backs and we started down 
and it was arduous. As you can imagine, it was March in North Carolina, so it was 80 degrees by day and 20 degrees below zero by night. And well, you know what I'm talking about. And it actually didn't rain. Imagine that. Uh, but anyway, that was how it went. And we got to the bottom. And as we got close to the bottom before we crossed the river, one of the guys in our party twisted his leg and sort of twisted his knee. Now, he didn't blow his shoe out, but he twisted his knee nonetheless. And we're sitting there and, we're, and he goes, guys, I, I, I can't make the trek back up. I mean, there's just no way. And we're looking at him and, you know, there's four of us and you know which one of the guys it was. It was the biggest guy. So it's not like we were going to carry him anyway, but it was definitely impossible for us to do. One of my friends suggested, well, you've got enough food, we'll come pick you up in a couple of days, just hang out here. <laughs> we weighed that one. And then I said, well, you know what? There's a road that runs right up the middle here. It's a windy, twisty road, about six miles, it's straight up. But what if one of us went up the road and got the car and drove down and picked him up? And the other two said, that sounds like a great idea. You go get the car. We'll meet you at the top. We're going to hike the long way up. And we thought about it and thought, well, you know, we did come to hike. And it didn't seem fair that all of us couldn't do it. So those two guys, they loaded their canteens up. We shifted some food resources around and they started up the trail. I dropped my pack, grabbed my sweatshirt and a canteen, and I started up the road. Six miles straight up, twisty road. In the wilderness of North Carolina in March, nobody sightseeing. And I am praying that maybe, just maybe, that a cup, one or two pickup trucks might pass us by, or me by, and I thought if that were to happen, I could climb in the back of one of them if they would stop, and they could carry me up to the car and I wouldn't have to drive as much. Now the reason why I thought a pickup truck would be perfect for me is, I've been in the woods now two and a half days. I'm not the prettiest I have ever looked. I have hiked when it's 80 degrees and then I have huddled around a campfire when it's 20 degrees below zero. So I had this wonderful aroma of sweat, woods, smoke. Yeah, I'm perfect. Nobody wants me in their car and I'm dirty. So I'm thinking, you know, a pickup truck would be great. I could just hop in the back. You know, if they've got the dog in there, the dog will stay on his side of the truck. I'll be on mine, it'll be great. So as I'm hiking up, I hear a vehicle and I turn and sure enough, it's a truck and I stuck my thumb out because that works in the movies, right? They waved and went on by. A little while later, I heard another truck come by, same story. This is the one, right? I mean, this was a beat up truck. I thought, perfect, this is my guy. The truck looks as bad as I look. He waved, went on by. And I, of course, you know, turned around and started walking up the mountain again, kept hiking. And sure enough, I heard another vehicle coming. But the engine was just a little too smooth. And about that time, is the, and I wasn't going to turn because I knew it was a car and nobody wanted me in the car. That's just cruel and unusual punishment for them. And the car pulls up. It is a brilliant white, brand new Cadillac. The window rolls down and new car smell just comes out the windows. And the couple that's in there, they are impeccably dressed. Look around the room, find the most impeccably dressed person you can find in here today and they've got them beat. And the question is, 
do you need a ride? I'm looking at him thinking, are you out of your ever-loving mind? You've got white leather in your car. And I said, well, I've got to get up to the parking area and get my car. My buddy of mine has twisted his knee. And the man says, that's terrible. Climb in. I'm thinking, are you kidding? I mean, this is completely unexpected. This is not the car that picks up a hitchhiker that looks like me. And so I sat perched on the edge of the seat, trying to make as little contact with the inside of the car on that curvy mountain road as I could, praying, just praying that maybe they couldn't smell. Because I could, and that new car smell was just about gone. The unexpected. Not who I thought would have picked me up and given me a ride back to my car. In today's text, Jesus is teaching the people and he teaches them how he expects us, how God wants us to treat each other. In verse 31, he says, treat people so the same way that you want to be treated. What we learned growing up is the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so he's teaching this lesson, but yet so often when we think about our lives, we live by a different code, don't we? Sometimes we live by the eye for an eye. If you get me, I'm going to get you. Or even better yet, sometimes we want to get ahead of the game. And so we're going to do unto others before they can do it to us. But see, Jesus is calling us to do something different. He's teaching us to do the unexpected. So as he's teaching us how to treat others, to treat others the way we would want to be treated, he gives us three kind of points. He says, first, love your enemies. Second, do good. And in parentheses, he says, even to those who do bad to you, do good. And third, give expecting nothing in return. Love your enemies, do good even to those who may harm you, and give without expecting a return. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus led straight out of the gate with love your enemies. Because if Jesus knows our hearts and knows the world in which we live, that there's always this combative, combativeness. And he says, love your enemies, which we all know is easier said than done, right? So the story goes that one Sunday morning, a preacher was preaching on this very same text. And he's talking about this. And he just kind of says, let's cut to the chase. In our world, we've all got enemies. Let's just admit it, all, we all have enemies in the world, people that are working against us, people that we don't like, people that are mean to us. We've all got enemies, but yet what God calls us to do is to love them so much so that they no longer are our enemy. He says, but that's our work. So as he's telling us, he says, so let's just be real clear. We've all got enemies. Let's just sort of take a poll of hands. If you've got a lot of enemies, raise your hand. And like this side of the church, all raise their hand. And he really looked at that side of the church. You got that. Well, then he says, how many of you have just a handful of enemies? And about a fourth of the church raises their hand. He sort of nods his head. And he says, how many of you have one or two enemies? And the other fourth of the church raises its hand. And he says, so this is the mission field, folks. We've got to love our our enemies. And he says, oh, wait a minute. There's one more question I need to ask. Is there anyone in here that doesn't have any enemies? 
And way back there on the back row where Tom Delliott sits, way back there, there's an old fellow, and he raises his hand up. And the pastor just stops. He says, you've got no enemies. And the man says, that's right, I've got no enemies. And he says, that's amazing. Come up here, tell us how you did it. Tell us how you love all God's people so that there are no enemies. And he goes, I don't need to come up there. I'll tell you what the secret is. I'm 98 years old and I've outlived them all. <laughs> that's a strategy, but it's a long time to 98. See, Jesus calls us to love all of God's children, even those people who are against us, even those people who don't like us. Sure, there are times in the midst of those personal strife and that fighting that happens that we want to get down in the dirt with him and we want to wrestle with him in the mud and we want to fight it out with him. But a friend of mine told me once, said, you know what, don't do that. Don't get down in the mud and wrestle with them because you know what? They like it and that's what they want and you'll just get dirty. Huh. Don't get down in the mud and fight it out with them because they'll like it and we'll just get dirty. See, what Jesus wants for us, what Jesus is teaching us is to not let the bitterness, not let their anger, not let their hatred of us gets so in our soul and change our hearts. Instead, what we're to do is that we're to share God's grace. We're to share God's benevolence with them. We're to give them that gift because guess what? That's not what they expect. And see, if we do that, if we give them the gift that they don't expect, if we share them that grace, share them that love, that throws them off their feet, doesn't it? We don't wrestle with the mud in the mud with them anymore, do we? We actually put the game on our terms where we're giving them the glove that God wants for the world around us, and that's the gift they don't expect. So that's why Jesus leads with, first, love your enemies. But it's not just there. The second thing he says, he says, do good even to those that harm you. He says further in the text, go deeper with them. He says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, turn the other cheek. In other words, really give them exactly what they don't expect. Really go deeper with that idea of doing good for them, even the ones that don't like us. Turn the other cheek, pray for them, ask God's blessing upon their lives. The German theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer is the rise of the German government in, in world, before World War II was happening, before as it rose up and that totalitarian regime was beginning to try to infiltrate the church and to change the message that the church was preaching to add legitimacy to their overall global perspective, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said no. The gospel message is really clear that we are to love all of God's children, period, plain and simple, that we're to love all God's people no matter what stripe of life they come from. And the German government had real issue with that because that's not what the government wanted the church to be preaching, not what they wanted Bonhoeffer to be teaching from the pulpit. And he said, no, I'm not going to teach that. And so you know what they did. They arrested him and they threw him in jail. They threw him in prison. But Bonhoeffer didn't stop there. While in prison, he 
was in ministry to all the different people that the German government captured and rounded up and threw in a jail, everyone that was different, that wasn't part of the quote-unquote master race, he did that. But he went yet a step further. He went a step further to his oppressors because what he really did was he reached out in ministry even to his guards, even to his captors, to his imprisoners. He went to those that held him in jail and he offered prayer for them. He ministered them, brought them Holy Communion, shared God's grace with them, all because that was his job. His calling was to share God's grace with everyone around him, even those that arrested him. Here's the great thing about it. The guards in the prison, they didn't know what to expect. They took communion. They weren't really sure what to do. They were really thrown off their game, and yet the whole time this was happening, Bonhoeffer was at peace himself. He wasn't worried about the future. He didn't worry about what this all meant. He didn't worry about whether he should have changed his message or mourned his situation. Instead, he knew he was there and that he was on the right side, if you will, because he was on the side of this lesson here today, doing good even for those who dislike you. You see, when we ask God's blessing on those who curse us, when we pray for people who mistreat us, when we turn the other cheek, they become human to us. Real people, no longer the enemy. They become our brothers and sisters. And while we take a higher road with them, we can't hate them. They become real people to us. But here's the part of that. As we pray for them, as we turn all of their hostility towards us over and put it at God's feet and say, Lord, take this up, do with this person as you would have them do, we pray that they would be a better person, a happier person. Your anxiety, our angst, our hurt feelings, they come to pass and there's peace in our hearts because now it's up to God. And we all know that God works in God's mysterious way and in God's own time. But as we do that, we surprise them as well. Because like Bonhoeffer's guards, they don't expect our prayers. They don't expect us to ask God to bless their lives. Because the world doesn't think like that. The final part of the lesson, not to just love our enemies, not to just do good, but the final part of treating others is to give expecting nothing in return. In the 1990s, there was a a tennis resort down in Florida, the Colony Beach and Tennis Resort. It was owned by a a man by the name of Murph Clauber. And Murph, as the story is told, is one of these guys that's really on the cutting edge of the hospitality industry, really wanting everything to be just perfect in his resort and everything had to go smoothly. And he had an image of what he wanted it to look like. So much so that when he pulled in the parking lot and parked at the end of the lot, as he walked across it on his way into the office that day, if he saw a gum wrapper floating across the parking lot, he was upset because it should never look trashy at the resort. If he walked into the restaurant and there was a table that was lying there unbussed and had been abandoned for some time by the diners and he was angry, about to blow a gasket, his blood pressure rose because it wasn't neat and tidy. That was just the kind of man he was, the kind of excellence he expected there at the Colony Beach and Tennis Resort. 
Somewhere along the line, they had hired a valet, a parking lot attendant, who the best words were, just wasn't great at the job. I mean, the man didn't really have the social skills to be a parking lot attendant at a fancy resort. When cars would pull up, he sort of mumbled. He wasn't exuberant or even happy in his greeting. He couldn't look people in the eye. He sort of watched the ground. And if you shook your hand, it was one of those sort of cold, kind of dead fish kind of handshakes. One of those things where you walk away and you're kind of like, ugh. And really wasn't a good conversationalist. Well, guests and members alike, they kept thinking, boy, once Max, I mean, once Murph sees this guy, once Murph realizes who he is and that they've got the wrong guy as a parking lot attendant, he'll can him for sure. Because this is just unacceptable behavior. And, you know, this is an entry-level job. They can find anybody to fill these jobs day in and day out. They could advertise it today and have five applicants. Surely Murph won't tolerate this. Well, as you can imagine, the complaints about the parking lot attendants sort of worked their way through the system and then landed on Murph's desk. So one day when he drove to work, as he walked across, he watched the parking lot attendant and he saw everything I just described. But his first reaction wasn't to let the guy go. He watched him. And he thought in his mind that maybe just maybe this guy's problem was not that he was terrible at his job. I mean, he was. But maybe the problem was is that no one had ever taught him. No one had ever inspired him. No one had ever given him a leg up to understand how important his role was. And Murph remembered reading the book, How to Make Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. He remembered that book and how it had changed his life and how it had an impact on him. And so as he watched his parking lot attendant, he thought, I wonder if they offer that class anywhere nearby, a Dale Carnegie course. So he scanned the internet looking for it and he found it in the next town over. And he walked across the parking lot and he pulled the young man aside and he said, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go take this course. And the man said, I don't have any money. And Murph said, that's okay, I'll pay for it myself. And so he sent him to the class. And so a couple of weeks go by and he comes out and some of the same guests, some of the regulars come in and they're so excited that there's this new parking lot attendant. He greets people with excitement, with an enthusiasm. He's got a firm handshake. He looks them in the eye. They've got great conversation. He knows something to ask him. Oh, it's so good to see you again. How was your game today? Oh, in the restaurant today, you don't want to eat this. It's not the best today. The chef's working on it. Try this meal instead. I mean, he is the perfect parking lot attendant. And everybody thinks, well, Kluber did it. He saw the guy and he got rid of him and he got somebody new in here. And then as they realized, as they looked him in the eye, they realized it was the same man. Completely transformed in front of them. And so someone said, said, my goodness, you're a completely different person. What happened to you? And the young man looked him back in the eye with a firm handshake and said, Murph got a class for me. People went into the club, they were excited, they found him and they, they found Murph Clauber and they said, oh my goodness, what you did with the parking lot, oh my goodness, what a great job. I mean, I cannot believe that you would invest that kind of money in this man when you could have just probably gotten rid of him and hired somebody better. You should get the Employer of the Year Award. Murph just sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, anyone would have done that. 
Would they have? Would anyone have taken such a personal interest in such a low-level employee, taken a, a personal interest in them enough to spend their own money out of their own pocket to benefit this person's life, to help them get a leg up and help them succeed, knowing full well that in doing that, they may realize they have greater potential and leave your employment anyway. It's just a risk he took. Expecting nothing in return but to see this young man succeed. The unexpected. The one thing that no one thought anybody in Merv Clover's area would do. See, when we give to someone expecting nothing in return, we change the whole conversation. We change their life. We change the world around us. Because they receive a gift that means something to them, that changes their life. And we just get to be the one that gives it to them. They take it and run with it. I mean, isn't that what happened with us? Haven't we received a gift from God with no expectation of anything in return? Haven't we received a gift that we haven't earned? See, Jesus' ministry was all about the unexpected. It always was, it always was unexpected. I mean, water into wine, eating dinner with sinners, welcoming people from every walk and stripe and highway of life and surrounding them in his club and in his gang and saying, you are precious in my sight. You count, you matter. I mean, that was so unexpected when the world had clear caste systems and structures. Jesus didn't care. He loves all of us because we are all God's children. And we each matter. And we're each important. And that's the unexpected part. That's the unexpected part that the world began to realize as Jesus was doing his ministry that business isn't usual any longer. That we have to love each other with a depth of soul. And that's our calling to do the same, to be, to do the unexpected in the world around us, to love our enemies, to do good, to give freely without an expectation of return. Because you see, when we do that, when we do that with all of God's children, we see each other of us that, that inhabit this planet as God's children, and we begin to ask ourselves a question when we look at them, how would I treat that person? The next question that comes up out of our mind should be, how would I want that person to treat me? If the tables were turned, how do we want to be treated by the world? And if we take the answer to that question, to be loved, to be given gifts freely without an expectation of return, to be blessed and held closely by each other, then isn't that what God calls us to do with the world around us? to treat others the way we would want to be treated. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. 
have a blessed day.